I am going to start today's conversation with a collective wish. This is particularly for the women listening. My wish is that we we all remember and reclaim our right to feel at home inhabiting our body. May we disconnect from external pressures and plug in to a phase of life where we truly befriend and care for ourselves. May we respect and love our body for the sacred vessel that it is, for the home that it's providing to our soul, for our life to be expressed and lived through. May we find joy in being in our body. And if you haven't already considered this, may you take this conversation as an opportunity to check in with the relationship you're holding with yourself, with your body, and consider asking, how does it feel being in relationship with me right now, body? How am I caring for you? Are you feeling seen and cared for? Are you feeling seen and loved and listened to? Or are you currently feeling that I ignore you, that I'm not taking the cues and the whispers that you're speaking to me on board? Let this conversation activate any healthy changes that may get to be made off the back of reflecting in this way. And there is a new function on Spotify, so if you are listening on there, I would love for you to respond to the question box that I've put up. If you're listening anywhere else, drop me a DM, get in touch, and I would love for this to be an episode that gets shared because it's a conversation that I know all of us can relate to in some way, shape or form, and I think it deserves to be heard and for more people to question the beliefs that they are carrying around their body, their value, their worth. I am currently in the process of creating an online body confidence bundle with my favorite playful yet empowering practices so that anytime, anywhere, you've got a resource to tune you back in to the magnificence of being you. If you would like first access with the early bird pricing, there is a link in the show notes to register your interest and be added to the waitlist. So for the basis of today, because this is a ginormous topic, (laughs) I'm going to be focusing and I'm coming from the lens of primarily the impact and damage potentially that carrying the belief that small is desirable will have on any of the big bold dreams that are in your heart because if you're someone who is moving from this association of as a woman to be small to be petite is to be valued and to be beautiful and to be desirable but your conscious desires are big they're large they're juicy and rich there is a mismatch And we do not move beyond our beliefs. So as you bring eyes and bring light to what is operating under the surface, you've got an opportunity to find harmony, to find alignment between what you consciously want to reach for, these big, wonderful goals, and 
the energy from which you're currently operating, this place of small is what is good. I'm also going to talk about checking in with the intention behind choices that you're making to ensure that they are choices that are coming from love and respect for yourself rather than from a conditional way of I have to operate and show up to life with this XYZ structure. Otherwise, if I'm not ticking off all these tasks and doing all these things, I don't deem myself to be worthy of love. And then lastly, the reminder that your identity gets to evolve. And regardless of whether you choose to engage with the process, your identity will evolve. As you hear me say in every single episode, to be alive is to be in the process of change. And this conversation is an invite to evolve your identity on purpose so that you are creating the right conditions to witness your desired evolution. I'm sharing all of this from not only the lens of being a certified coach and all of the education I have around behavior change and, you know, more of the practical science elements of this, but More importantly, as a female who has very much navigated this journey from being very, very conditional with the way that I felt I was deserving of love and self-abandonment tendencies, self-soothing tendencies that were not healthy, being in an abusive relationship with my own body, to now being so aware of my innate worth, lovability, magnificence, all of the beautiful things, to set the scene a little bit, because this is, I'm using my life really as a case study, as an example of what conditioning can look like, because we take this on in our formative years, and it's the stuff that's deep, deep in us, like software running our operating system for us, that just kind of is, and it's so part of identity and default that it's playing out without us visibly noticing it. So when I was adopted as a baby, I was in a really beautiful environment. I went from, in my primary school, there was a really beautiful eclectic mix of people and I never felt like the odd one out. We then fast forward to just after my mum's passed away, I'm going off to secondary school. All of a sudden, I'm in an all-girls private school. And it was a very different environment, of course. And suddenly, coupled with no longer having my mum with me, and now all of a sudden, I am in a male-dominated household. And then I'm going to this school where I suddenly feel like the odd one out because when I'm looking around I'm not really seeing anyone like me anymore and it was a very different culture in terms of the level of wealth and lifestyle I guess all of a sudden it was like oh I need to have this bag and I need to be wearing that brand and conditions suddenly that I became aware of that needed to be met for me to feel that I fitted in and that I had a place in this environment There weren't many people who looked like me at all and I suddenly was like, well, beautiful is fair skin, it's like green or blue eyes, it's blonde hair and why am I not that? And how can I be more like that? 
It was a confusing time and I just wanted to fit in because of course that's what we want, right? We just want to feel like we belong because there's safety and belonging. And the school that I went to, there was a lot of eating disorders in a particular group who for some reason called themselves the Pop-Tarts, but that's by the by. (laughs) And I remember I would sit in the lunchroom sometimes and see this group of girls who were literally eating some slices of cucumber and rivita. And it was so, (laughs) it was really, really weird to me because I was going home and being very well fed by a man, you know, it was like sausages and mash, chips and fish and fish and chips, as people usually say. And then I was coming into school and I was watching this strange behavior around food and it was confusing. I'm lucky that I never or I'm grateful that I never developed an eating disorder, but I certainly developed body dysmorphia and a I felt such a pressure. It was a really bizarre um interplay and to be honest I still feel it to some extent because this thing was so ingrained in me that beauty was whiteness and secondary school years are so impactful in terms of you know our subconscious is still forming we're really starting to find our sense of belonging in the world and at that time I'd my mum had passed away who although not biologically my mum, looked quite similar to me. She was from Malaysia, so we had a similar appearance. So that wasn't around anymore, that mirror of there are people like me in in my home and, you know, the safety that comes with that and seeing yourself in your mum. And then I was in this school, which was a very white, predominantly white middle-class environment. And there were also a lot, it was rife with eating disorders, very strange experiences of sitting in the lunchroom and and seeing some girls' trays just with slices of cucumber and a rivita cracker on the plate. And then there's me piling on all the hot meals and the pudding and (laughs) like, oh, is this not how I should be? You know, all these questions that you start to grapple with and... Yeah, these are formative years. So I was kind of, it was a really strange experience because I was not feeling that I fitted in. I was not feeling that who I was was good enough, was pretty, was valuable, was right in so many ways. I just wanted to be like all the other girls I was seeing and they were fair and they were beautiful and they had their parents. And to me, it was just, I was like, why? I was very in a victim mentality back then. So all of that was going on, and at the same time, of course, in the collective, those of you of a similar age to me, we also were being uh, fed fed the size zero culture, the heroin chic culture. So all of this noise was in my field of awareness during very important years. We take this on, and these kind of get locked in, like... Um, a set of codes in an operating system 
a set of rules of how we show up in the world, where our place is in it and, and where our value comes from. So that's a bit of context for that. And, you know, this is the other really important thing is that your body is not a trend. It's not part of a trend. And we've seen that this could be a very futile and exhausting, never-ending cycle, right? Of one minute being super skinny and having to fit into the size zero jeans to all of a sudden it's now, oh my gosh, I need to be curvy. I need to have like this hourglass shape. I need to have huge lips, huge thighs, huge butt. We're pumping, we're plumping, we're injecting, we're doing all these wild things to try and keep up with the trend. Now there seems to be a return to skinny with Ozempic being very prevalent, it seems, in the States. And my gosh, you could get lost. And a lot of people do get lost in this sea of, oh no, this is what I now need to be to be good enough. And oh no, now I need to be that. Ladies, women, humans. Come on, tune back in. Tune back in. You are alive. Please, let's take ownership and some responsibility for channeling our energy whilst we're alive into actually having a beautiful life (laughs) rather than shrinking, exhausting, injecting, pumping up, plumping up, all the wild things to on this quest to be good enough. You are good enough you are, you're alive, what, uh, let's, you know, stop pretending this is some mundane experience, it's incredible, and use your time alive, becoming the most healthy, vibrant, expressed, big, bold version of your energy that could possibly come through you, my goodness, right, sorry, I went... (laughs) I went full, I don't know where I just went. I'm like, wait, what What was the point I was making? So Ozempic, secondary school, there we go. Our value is so, so beyond all of this madness. It's a circus, it's a distraction to really landing in your own innate power. What really made the difference for me in terms of how I was relating to my body was when I stopped running, when I stopped numbing, hiding and suppressing, because that older version of me, well younger, but the old version of me, (laughs) she didn't love herself. There was no concept or relationship with me. I was searching for it all outside of myself. And I was objectifying myself because that's how I found validation. It led to a whole string of choices, actions, behaviors that were coming from a lack of self-acceptance and love. So what I'm trying to say here is when you shift rather than the effort coming from, I need to hit the gym this many times a week, I need to be eating that meal then and this here and that there, cutting that, adding this, because without doing all of these things, I don't feel good enough. I'm not waking up feeling confident, worthy, lovable. I have to hit these criteria and these tasks 
to feel that sense of validation. When the focus actually shifts from all of that, which is just superficial, symptomatic things, and you actually come home to the root, which is your inner belief system, and you start to upgrade the belief you have in yourself, you start to hold a relationship with yourself that is meaningful and respectful, as I said at the beginning, those behaviors will naturally shift. As I started to develop more self-acceptance, more self-love, as I started to genuinely and really care about taking up, taking care of myself, naturally, the way that I would fuel myself was healthier. I wasn't numbing out on, you know, consuming alcohol every night of the week. I wasn't suppressing emotions by swallowing a bag of crisps. I wasn't out on the weekends going way beyond drunk because I didn't want to feel X, Y, Z, right? None of that exists. It's actually so much harder for me to get to that point of drunk or for me to eat and consume in that way now because the the foundation that I'm moving from is one of self-acceptance and love and how are you going to want to care for something like extrapolate this to a partner to a friend to your child to your cousin whoever it may be someone that you deeply deeply care for what are your natural behaviors towards them they're kind they're compassionate they're loving they're understanding right and so bring that home to the relationship you have with yourself rather than trying to put all these plasters on top of an inner belief system of lack of worth, lack of love, lack of self-validation. And you're like, oh, I need that. I need the nails. I need that. I need this. I need to buy that. I need to lose this. Go and look at the root is really what this conversation is saying, because we don't get what we want. We get what we're believing. And so I really had this aha moment when I started working with my PT recently because all of a sudden I was confronting my own conditioned ways of thinking and I was also receiving unsolicited unsolicited projections from other women on my body which was wild and all of a sudden I was like oh my gosh This is a huge sticking point for so many of us females because we want a big, beautiful life. We're operating from this really, really ingrained idea that as a woman, the smaller we are, the better we are. So we may be asking for that big love. We may be asking for that big, amazing career. We may be desiring this huge, tremendous, successful life, but we aren't going to get what we're asking for. We're going to get what we're believing. And if we're believing playing small, being petite, shrinking who we are and the amount of space we take up with our body, with our voice is desirable and is the gold standard. Whilst big, bold moves, big, bold beliefs don't exist, we're not going to get there. It's time to rewire and revamp the associations you're holding with words like big, bold, large. 
because they should not immediately spring to mind body images. Big life, big heart, bold living, large energy. I want to look back on life and say I was able to say yes to such a large amount of life. Not, wow, what a small life I had. If that goal out there of a big life means a lot to you, come home to the root of it all and start to upgrade the beliefs you're operating with. You can look at the show notes for two different ways I can support you in belief change so that your beliefs are on board and in alignment with the beautiful goals you've got. So to make this crystal clear, to really spell it out, the the action could be positive or negative. The action itself is neutral, but the energy behind, the intention behind is not. So check in with yourself. What energy, aka what level of belief is driving this choice, is driving this behavior? So I'm going to keep using myself as an example. Back when I was not loving myself, and I had all those self-abandoning tendencies, and I was relating to my body in a really objectifying way. I had to be so regimented with my gym routine because, God forbid, I skipped a day, I wouldn't feel good enough. I'd feel anxious, I'd feel self-conscious. I hadn't validated myself by working out and feeling like I've burnt some calories. Which, as I say that out loud, makes me aware of The fact that back then moving was all related to shrinking, losing calories, being smaller, slimmer, more petite, taking up less space. Whereas now the choice when I'm working out and moving, it's to do with tapping into an energy of strength or resilience or my graciousness, my ability to be in flow. And I remember a particular time I was dating this guy For whatever reason, I didn't manage to make it to my workout of the day. Um, This also comes hand in hand with when I was vegan, which as a little sidebar, um, I feel personally for a lot of people who go on these restrictive diets like vegan, keto, paleo, whatever, there's so many, deep, deep, deep down, if a lot of people are being super truthful with themselves, it's not the sustainability it's not the I feel best like this it's actually I've placed restrictive conditions around my diet it's a sneaky conditional way of loving yourself or feeling worthy so back in this time when I was vegan and I was it was not a healthy time to be honest I was restricting my food and it it fit in with the whole thing of I'm a yoga teacher and the philosophy of non-harming and blah 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 but I for whatever reason I'd skip this workout sorry I'd skip this workout and then I had this date and I was in a tailspin and this would happen a lot I'd be messaging my friends photos of me like I look fat I don't look good enough all those stories playing out because I hadn't ticked off the routine that left me feeling okay and if it's that prescriptive there should be some alarm bells sounding out here whereas now 
I still love to work out. So the action hasn't changed. I still really love moving my body, but notice how I'm saying I love it. I do it when I, when I desire to, and I can very, very much veer away from that structure. There's a general rhythm that I stick with, but I can also opt out of that. And I listen to my body. So for example, and this never could have been the case back in the day, last week, was it? Yeah, when I was, last week, I, I was moving all my stuff out of storage. I was due on my period. And then at the end of the week, it was the anniversary of my mum passing. And that entire week, I didn't go to the gym. And it did not impact my level of confidence. All those stories playing out because I hadn't ticked off the routine that left me feeling okay. And if it's that prescriptive, there should be some alarm bells sounding out here. Whereas now, I still love to work out. So the action hasn't changed. I still really love moving my body, but notice how I'm saying I love it. I do it when I when I desire to. And I can very, very much veer away from that structure. There's a general rhythm that I stick with, but I can also opt out of that. And I listen to my body. So for example, and this never could have been the case back in the day, last week, was it? Yeah, when I was, last week, I, I was moving all my stuff out of storage. I was due on my period. And then at the end of the week, it was the anniversary of my mum passing. And that entire week, I didn't go to the gym. And it did not impact my level of confidence, my sense of security in myself, because it's so irrelevant to my self-worth. But it's something I enjoy. So is this is something for you to ask yourself. Is my routine restrictive and conditional to me feeling okay in myself? Or is this a rhythm that I'm doing through love, through choice, and a a desire to expand what I know to be true and what I know I am capable of, right? Because I love the physical challenge. It connects us to our resilience. It connects us to our power. It's through challenge and discomfort that we grow and that we meet the depths of ourselves. However, if you're moving and behaving and nourishing your body in a way that is, I have to be doing this to feel okay, then I really invite you to go down into the root. What's lying beneath the surface? Why do I need all these things in place to feel okay in myself, to to feel worthy? Because when you're connected to your innate self-worth, wellness becomes a natural byproduct. Part one of this conversation is coming to a close. So I'm going to give you some questions to journal on. And this will give you a bit of material to start working with should you desire to be in this place of transforming your self-belief so that you can transform your life. In the show notes, I have left two links for those of you that are really committed to actioning this and changing this because you do see that a big life is a life well lived and you don't want to spend any more of your time shrinking what it can mean to be you and the way that you engage with your life. For now, here's question one. From the perspective of your body, how does it feel being in relationship with you? 
on a scale of one to 10, how secure do you feel in this relationship? On the same scale, how respected do you feel? And on the same scale, how loved do you feel? Question two, in relation to each of those scores, what's an action that you could take to increase the numbers by at least two points? And the final question, question three, what did I start believing to be true as a young person based off of the things I experienced and saw that isn't supportive for the vision that I have for my life? And that question is really speaking to where your beliefs are limited in relation to the actual goals that you have for yourself as an adult and in your conscious mind. So I will continue this conversation in part two, which will be focusing on the feedback loop of inner narrative and external actions and how you can upgrade this feedback loop so your inner narrative supports bigger, bolder outer actions, aka shifts your reality in the direction that you're looking to go. As I said, I would love some interaction on Spotify. If you're listening there, please drop me a DM. If you're on Instagram, I'm at Kate Jessica. Jessica has an H at the end. And share the episode. Pass this on to anyone who you know struggles with their relationship with their body, with self-belief, with self-worth. And I will see you in the next episode.